This episode is brought to you by The Growth Strategy Programme, the only online programme for the founders of scaling consumer packaged goods brands that helps you set your business up for the next phase of serious growth. To find out when the next cohort starts, go to fionafitzconsulting.com, then click online courses and register your interest today. Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. This week, we're talking to Rob Martineau and Tom Stancliffe, the founders of Tribe, the UK's leading plant performance brand. Tribe offers a range of bars, active oats and shakes that are super tasty and accessible to everyone. But more importantly, Tribe is an impact organisation which began with its very big purpose to end modern slavery. The Tribe product range was launched in 2015 and really took off at the beginning of lockdown. With the brand doubling in size, it's now about to hit 6 million in retail sales value at the end of this year. Tribe really is more than a brand. It's an ecosystem that includes their food business, their foundation, the Tribe Freedom Foundation, and the active community they've built since their very first Run for Love in 2013, which was the start of the Tribe journey. Already a cross-category brand, I think Tribe has all the makings of a future mega brand. This is one to watch. Rob Martineau and Tom Stancliffe of Tribe Nutrition, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. Uh, it's amazing to be here. Thanks so much for having us. We're huge fans of the podcast, so it's great to be on. Uh, that's very nice of you. Thank you so much. So look, Tribe Nutrition has grown astronomically in the last 18 months and is about to hit about 6 million in or retail sales value at the end of this year and going to double that next year. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the brand in terms of what they might see, what ranges you have, where they might find them, and a little bit about that growth journey before we move into the really important part of this episode where I want to focus on why you started the brand, the power of community and how that really is something that came first for you guys and how that's just an integral part of your success. So Tribe of the UK's uh, leading natural plant performance brand, our top selling range is the Triple Decker, which is a nut butter layered plant protein bar, vegan, low sugar, 10 vitamins and minerals, tastes incredible, but also great for you as a pre or post workout or a healthy snack. And we've also just launched our Active Oats, which are high protein, high fiber, gut friendly um, breakfast oats. Think of it like a kind of healthy overnight oats that you can make in 30 seconds by adding cold milk. And you can. I have to tell all of you listeners out there, my kids had it for breakfast this morning. We'd only ever had the bars before. Thank you so much, guys, because you're always sending me big boxes of bars. They're bloody amazing. I have to say, they are just absolutely fantastic. I did not know. Would you call it a protein bar? Is it a protein bar or is it a nutrition bar? So it's a plant protein bar, but it's got a load of benefits. But I did not know that a plant protein bar could taste that great, genuinely. Not just your Doisy and Dam one with the Doisy and Dam Smarties on the top, because obviously that one is going to taste great, but all of them, they taste amazing. And when you sent the cereal this morning, I had my five-year-old eating the chocolate and hazelnut one and he was in heaven. 
he ate it hot. The chocolate melted into the bowl. I went, oh, Jesus Christ, what have I done? And can't take it back now. And he went, oh, my God, this is amazing. So not even for adults and a beautiful looking brand as well. So where can everybody find your products? So we started as a DTC business and we've got a really strong um, online sales for our website. But you can also find us in Ocado, in Sainsbury's, um, in Morrison's as of last week, in Booth's, in Boots, in WH Smith Travel. Um, so across lots of mainstream you know, UK retail. That's unbelievable. So how many SKUs do you have in the bar range? So we've got six flavors of our triple decker bar. Um, we've got everything from coconut, vegan honeycomb, which is our bestseller, or chopped peanut butter, maple. We always try and go really big on flavor. So it's so important for us that products taste amazing, but also uh, are delivering on nutritionals. And big on brand standout, by the way, anyone who's listening to this, have a look at their website. Is it wearetribe.co? That's the one. Fabulous, really beautiful brand aesthetic. I love the standout colors. Um, it looks really indulgent, it's really appealing to me. So how did you get that much distribution in such a short period of time? So I think in terms of where we're at maybe two years ago, as we've sort of doubled the business over that period, we just spent a lot of lockdown just working on the product, really, really finessing when it comes to, say, the, the brand on pack, but also the taste, the texture, the flavor profiles. And we've just found that's yielded really amazing growth. And I don't say that, I sort of sound a bit arrogant saying that, but it's really just flicked a bit of a switch in terms of customer response to the product and buyer's interest in the product. So what's the before and after? Because that's the interesting bit then for listeners. What was your products like before? What are they like now that the switch flicked? Because everybody wants the switch to flick for their business, don't they? I think what we've always had as a brand is we've, we've always been plant-based. We've always tried to use premium natural ingredients, no sweeteners. And we've always been focused on lifestyle or kind of way of life products. But I think what we really doubled down on through the lockdown was, was sort of taste and texture, really saying, how can we become the best tasting vegan performance focused product on the market? And how can we keep what makes the brand great? So vegan performance, natural, great nutritionals, but just really double down on flavor. And I suppose part of that's come with experience because we've we've been making products for four years. So we we know what's worked best from the existing ranges we have. But particularly with the Triple Decker and the Active Oats, you know, they, they've gone from being 0% of our overall sales in October 2020 to probably 60 or 70% of our sales today. So although it, it seems very immediate, like an overnight success, actually, there was four years of knowledge and learning and, you know, it's, it's very difficult to create those kind of, <laughs> to create great tasting and great from scratch, products yeah. from scratch. And it was all of the learnings that came before that, that have really helped. But, but I think um, it, it's just a joy nowadays to see a Trustpilot review come in. You know, I can't wait to see it because you know it's going to be good. You know, it's going to be someone saying, you know, it tastes great. And, and so much hard work has gone to get to that place. But ultimately, the, the single most important thing but anything is, does it taste great? When someone tries that product, they've been on a hard run. If they've had a hard morning or a hard shift in the evening, they want something that they're going to love and create a real moment of joy. And I think we've, we've, we've really put that moment of joy first because, you know, we've all got hard lives and, and <laughs> you know. 
So you guys obviously have a real understanding of product and of product eat, which, you know, I shouldn't be surprised, but I kind of am because you're ex-lawyers and ex-corporate finance people. And I just don't expect that necessarily. But you're talking all of the stuff that I've learned over the last 25 years. Taste has got to be first, but taste, a lot of the experience around taste is also about texture, particularly in snacking, isn't it? And you've mentioned texture twice. Is there a story behind that? No, but I think people love that kind of, I, I just think we found it's really important. And I think if, if people find that a bar is dry or the, or it doesn't kind of, or a shake is grainy or, you know, th- this yeah. stuff actually contributes just as much to the kind of the flavor experience. or the experience of products. So I think it's not that we've sort of learned by mistakes, but we've definitely iterated and iterated and iterated and got to a place where, you know, the more you can create on the texture front, the more excitement and innovation that people feel in the product they're trying. Absolutely. Excitement and experience. Yeah. And I definitely say we've just consciously, particularly over the last three years, it's been like obsessing over it. I think if we looked at when the first year we were probably too obsessed with how a website looked or just putting too much energy into that. And actually, I mean, obviously you've got to have a good website, but it doesn't really matter. What really matters is like when someone takes a first bite of that product, do they love it? And ultimately, I think we consciously realized that maybe in our first year, we weren't spending enough time on that and we're spending too much time on other stuff. And so it's been the last, yeah, like three years, essentially journey where we kind of realized, you know, you just like became obsessed with that. And we spend so much time as a team, like obsessing over the little details of the product. How can we get it just tasting that little bit better? And I think Tom leads leads that, but that's something we've just become completely, we can't spend too much time like working to improve the product. And and you definitely realize that it's no, it's no coincidence. You know, often people go, why is it brand successful? And is it, is it the branding? Is it the whatever? But actually, if you really break it down in any category that the best performer is normally the best tasting, you know, and actually all of the rest is important, the mission, visuals, everything, but ultimately stripping everything away it's does someone love what they try and do they want to try it again um and i think we put that put that first and it's really yielding results i was going to say all of the insurgent brands that i've been lucky enough to work with over the last 10 years so for significant periods of time so goo obviously goo chocolate puds then chobani the american greek yogurt strong roots which has taken the freezer aisle by storm across the world all of those founders are absolutely obsessed with taste. And I should say the Coconut Collaborative as well, which I've worked with for about a year. They are all constantly tasting. Do you have a table full of product and everybody's breaking off and eating bits all the time? Totally, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're waiting on a delivery of new caramel triple deckers, but we're, we're constantly and constantly trying and, and also just constantly improving. Like nothing is a sort of static place. You know, what yeah. what's great today won't be great in six or 12 months. So it's that process of improvement and iterating that, yeah, I think we've really, and I should add, and Sarah King um, is a food developer that works really closely with us, who's, who's fantastic, who used to be at Innocent for a long time. And, okay. and, and she's been fantastic in that regard as well. Do you guys use a co-manufacturer? Yeah, we work with co-manufacturers um, and two in particular um, who have, again, really helped us. And we see them as an extension of the team. It's such an yeah, important part of our, of our business. And, you know, they're fantastic. And we really, they really believed in us from the start. I bet the technical managers, the product technical managers in the co-manufacturers are stars. Yeah, yeah, they're fantastic. And, you know, it's, 
we now understand much more than we did, but you know, when we're starting out, you're so, when you're starting a food business, it's, yeah, it's, it's lawyers you just don't know about that stuff. And so I think it, sure. they, they really helped upskill us and, and, and yeah, really believed in us. And it's been amazing seeing the, the growth that we've been able to deliver together. It's so important because if a brand falls on the wrong co-manufacturer, a co-manufacturer might have the right manufacturing capabilities. But if that account management person doesn't really understand account management or doesn't understand what you want or doesn't really understand the technical side of the business, or if the technical manager is your only point of contact and they have no human relation skills, which often happens in this situation, it can just all fall flat. So there's a lot of things that have to fall into place for this to work, aren't there? 100%. I just think it's so important getting someone who's at the right size for you. Because if, okay. if you fall into someone that's way too big for you or they're too small to have the capabilities you need, you can be yeah. in real trouble. And I think it's having that, having someone who just on a human level like works as well. Because they're, so, they're such a close part of, of what you do. Yeah, an extension of the team, like you say. So I could talk to you about product all day, but there's loads of really important things to talk about. And one of the points I just wanted to make is that when I came across you guys first, I thought you were just a bar brand and then when I went on your website and when you sent me more samples, I realized that actually your platform for growth is cross category. You're in cereals, you're in drinks, you're in shakes. And I can imagine you being in lots of different categories with the same proposition, this idea of plant-based protein that is an absolute delight to eat through its taste and texture. That must be really exciting. It's super exciting. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. And we've we definitely, as you say, I think that kind of plant performance, so plant-based, high-protein, high-fiber, gut-friendly, great taste. You can see that in so many categories. I mean, at the moment, we're, we're super focused on snacking through the triple-deckers and breakfast through the active oats. But yeah, we, we really see the opportunity um, in the category just because whatever you want to call it, you know, this kind of lifestyle performance, so kind of products targeted at kind of active, healthy lives. Um, there's just a lot of different directions it can, it can go in. And um, yeah, we're really excited to see that grow over time. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then please do share it on social media and take a minute or two to write a review on iTunes. It would make a big difference in allowing us to interview even more super guests with great advice that can transform how you do business. So let's talk about active, healthy lives. How did this all start, guys? Bring us back to the beginning. So, yeah, I mean, Tribe started myself, Tom and Guy with basically three old mates and we were working in jobs in the city. So in big offices and running increasingly became, I guess, a big part of our lives. We were looking something to escape, I suppose, the drudgery of our office lives to get out in nature and we began taking on bigger and bigger running challenges and Tribe kind of grew out of that, specifically out of an amazing project called uh, Run for Love, which basically began as an idea to try and run a thousand miles in 30 days. So it started as this kind of physical challenge or adventure, but it quite quickly morphed into something much bigger, which, yeah, which would change, change all our lives. We wanted to run for a cause and we met this amazing charity who were uh, looking to build the first home in the UK that provided dedicated care to the victims of child trafficking. And they had this amazing vision. They needed a certain amount of money to make it possible. We quickly realized with just three of us that we would never be able to raise that amount. And that was the kind of a real inflection point in terms of the creation of Tribe as it 
grew from being a run for just three of us into this kind of Forrest Gump tribe of runners. As we published our route online, um, we sent it out, got picked up by some media, and all of these runners from all over the world came to join and be part of that journey. Unbelievable. Now, when you say you published your route online, earlier on you told me that actually you built a nice website. That's right. So you took this seriously from day one, right? Definitely, yeah. We wanted to make it an amazing yeah, once-in-a-lifetime project. You know, we wanted to make something we'd always be proud of and yeah, published okay. our route. It was, um, it was in 2013, so it was just at the start of kind of influencers. And I remember um, got four or five bloggers, picked it up, and then the Evening Standard. So it was really the time where things could move really quickly. Um, and yeah, we just went from, went from three runners to 250 in the space of a few weeks. So where did you run from and to? The run started in Odessa in Ukraine, and it went across nine countries of Eastern Europe, finishing in Dubrovnik on the coast of the Adriatic in Croatia. And how long did that take you? So it was about 30 days. Yeah, you said that at the beginning, sorry. (laughs) So for 30 days, you ran, what was it, 39 marathons, and people joined you for parts of that journey. And how much money did you raise? So collectively, I think the, the group raised about £300,000 um, for charity. And it was just a really, it was one of those projects that just took on its own momentum. It was a really amazing thing to be part of. But even while it was happening, I don't think I fully like had taken stock of like, how fortunate or how exciting in a sense it was. It was just like building in this way that I just never realistically thought it, was, it could be possible. And the money you raised was able to help this charity that was helping re-establish victims or rehabilitate victims of childhood slavery? Exactly. Yeah, it, it was to set up the first home for trafficked children in the UK. That's amazing. And did it do that? Did it go on to do that? Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah. So how did it evolve then? So that was the first kind of community event. How did you bring the community along with you and what happened next? And how did the product side of things eventually evolve? I think we, we kind of went back to our normal lives after Run for Love for a bit. And then in 2015, you know, I think over the next few years, we, we kept thinking about how we could take forward this amazing project that, that was all about community and making an impact. And it was about that time that Grays was doing really well as a direct-to-consumer snack brand. And I suppose that we saw originally the opportunity to, I suppose, bring together the community and the impact, but also all of the learnings we'd had around hating synthetic nutrition that looked like it was for bodybuilders. It just felt very wrong to be opening some metallic pack on the top of some beautiful Montenegrin mountain. And so it was all about saying, how can we create kind of great natural products targeted for, you know, people like us who frankly weren't <laughs> bodybuilders or really ultra endurance runners, but just normal people trying to be as fit as they could. So creating those great products, but also retaining the community element and retaining that desire to make an impact to try and fight slavery. So that kind of all came together, yeah, to, to create Tribe. So, you know, trying to be yeah, the UK's leading plant performance brand. So you decided to start a product aspect to this. And then what happened? You launched the products. Talk us through that. Yeah, so we, I mean, we actually started initially with a trial. But I remember being back in my mum's kitchen, the three of us making these kind of trail mixes essentially which we then sent out to 60 kind of tasters um and that i think gave us the confidence to or just having got going to kind of to start something up and it it really grew initially as a direct consumer business um was growing really well and it was with a range of 
you know, natural nutrition products. It was quite oriented around running it, it right at the start. And there were kind of three elements there that are still there today. Essentially, there was great natural nutrition products, the first thing. Second thing was events and community. So putting on physical events where people from tribe could come together and run, bike, do yoga. And then the third thing is purpose, which now is the Tribe Freedom Foundation. So a, a separate charity that sits alongside tribe. But and it's a kind of ecosystem there's an ecosystem there whereby people are fueling with our products, they're taking part in our events and they're fundraising for our charity, which has this amazing mission and carries out vital work um, to fight human trafficking and support the victims of human trafficking. So talk to us about community and events and people taking part in things, because that's how this all started, right? And often when brands talk about community, there's kind of a spectrum, isn't there? There's the brands at one end of the spectrum. When they say community, they mean the people who follow us on Instagram and maybe like and comment. And then there's people at the other end of the spectrum, which are people, I think, brands like your brand that actually started with a community and have brought and built that community along the way. And the activities that the community is involved with have grown and strengthened as well as the number of people. It's not just a nice to have. Talk to us a little bit about how central community is for all of this ecosystem that you describe and how you keep them engaged and Really, is it even an effort? Because it's so much a part of this ecosystem, isn't it? It's not like a a part of your marketing plan, which it is for so many brands. No, I, I think I think you're totally right, Fiona. I, I think for us, you know, community is, is genuinely the most important thing at Tribe. Whether that's um, people coming to the events that we do, whether that's you know something like ten thousand people contributed to the MPB process for the active votes, or you know probably tens of thousands of people helped raise the million pounds for the foundation. And I think, to be honest, like you don't think of it as marketing because ultimately so many of those events, you know, 90% plus we were at and we were at them because, you know, that that's what we love doing. We, we love going running. We love going cycling. We love bake-offs, whatever it is. And you love raising money to end modern slavery, right? It's our passion is doing those events and those things. And, you know, we believe in, bring people with us on that. So yeah, it's, it's definitely integral to what we do. And it's an extension of, of what we love doing and how we love spending our lives. I think it's amazing. I think it's a really great case study for 98% of brands out there when they're thinking about community to think about how they might emulate that. And that's one step removed from where you guys are because you guys haven't emulated anything. It happened this way because that was what was at the beginning. But wouldn't it be nice if even the brands who haven't necessarily started off with community at the very beginning, if they even thought, OK, how can we do something really great and make a community that is actually working for the greater good part of our ecosystem and not just part of our marketing plan? I think that's a real challenge that I put out there for brands that are scaling. 100%. I think it all says people are going to want to be part of it. You know, it always amazes me the amount of times I'm running and I see someone in a tribe t-shirt or a tribe cap, for some reason people want to wear the logo. You don't see that with any other brand. No, you don't. And I guess it's, it takes so much work in a way to get to have built that. And it takes so much kind of love. I mean, it's the first events we were doing back in like 2015, 2016. You've got to really create something in a sense that the individuals want to be part of. What do you call that function in your business? I mean, who manages that, all of the kind of event community stuff? 
Is it everybody? Is it different people? Yeah, I mean, I would genuinely say it's a kind of cross-team effort. You know, we, we've got this event next year, Run for Love 4 in Croatia, which is a 260-kilometer ultra run over a week that literally the whole team is coming on. So I would say of, of all of the areas of the whole business that we don't really, you know, it's not kind of content marketing or I don't know what it would be. Um, it's genuinely something that we all participate on and we all carry the load. And You're not just doing it because you want some posts for Instagram, some videos, and it's going to be your content marketing. That's exactly the point I think I'm making. It's amazing. Why Croatia out of interest? It's a stunning route, basically. We've just been there. Yesterday, we were out there checking out the route and it's it's going up the Croatian coast and then finishing on an island called Kirk. And um, well, A, it's a 260-kilometer run, but also there's an eight-mile eight run and hike for people if you want to do just that at the end. But it's mainly just a stunning route. Um, it's super accessible for people to get there, which is great. It'll be happening in May, so it's good weather. And there's obviously a bit of heritage because the first run for love finished in Dubrovnik in Croatia. So okay. it's nice to be back. Talk to us about Foodies Fighting Slavery, which is something that you are going to be launching shortly. Well, yeah, this is a really exciting project that the foundation is working on in partnership with the UK Anti-Slavery Commissioner and two anti-slavery charities called Stronger Together and Stop the Traffic. And I think what it's all about, it's all about saying, you know, how can particularly SMEs that don't have massive um, operations and supply chain functions, how can they do as much as they possibly can to prevent slavery in their own supply chains? How can they due diligence their suppliers? And it's definitely hold our own hands up, something that we want to be as good as we can possibly be. And we're obviously super involved in fundraising in this space, but we want to learn ourselves what is absolute best practice and how can all SMEs really share best practice in terms of their own supply chains. and Particularly, I suppose, if you have got a whole lot of suppliers in your supply chain. Nowadays, lots of the scaling businesses are really sales and marketing commercial offices. And they've got co-manufacturers in different countries and they've got supply packaging from China or from wherever it is. And it must be very difficult or daunting if you're the founder of such a company to think, how do I start picking all that apart to make sure that there is no problem, ethical problems in my own supply chain. I think that's totally right. And it's, it's all about saying, you know, as we've seen in areas where there has been really good practice in FMCG, whether it's Tony's or Hotel Chocolat or other green and blacks, where actually people have kind of really blazed a trail. There's such an opportunity for SMEs to, to blaze that trail and to drive best practice. And yeah, the project is basically all about saying, let's work out what best practice is and how, how can we share it? Because in a sense, we've all, you know, coming back to the impact point, consumer food and drink brands have a massive platform for driving change. And I think um, particularly in this area of ethical trading supply chain, you know, I think there's so much improvement that can be made. And you know, we, we want to explore that ourselves and then we want to share the learnings um, with others. That's wonderful. That really is wonderful. Maybe we can catch up with you in a year or so and you can let us know how you're doing with that because I'm sure so many brands listening to this will want to learn from the organisation and your learnings. Definitely, yeah, we'd love that. So look, let's wrap up by talking about where growth is going to come from over the next year because your aim is to double your retail sales value to 12 million. Where's that growth going to come from? 
both from a channel perspective, but also in terms of how you're going to drive people to buy your products? The push and the pull. I think um, I suppose two things to say first. Firstly, would be in terms of products. So Activotes launched about four months ago. So we've got really huge sort of growth journey to go on there. We're seeing fantastic initial sales. We're seeing um, amazing feedback to the products, but there's a lot of um, fresh powder, as it were, to go after there. Um, and we're really excited to bring, um, to bring that product to more customers. Um, and the second thing is growth within existing channels. So we, our e-commerce business doubled in size, um, so doubled in size this year. We think we can do the same again next year alongside channels like Amazon, Ocado, and, and within Sainsbury's. And then it's winning new, um, new listings. So you see like winning new distribution for any, um, FMCG brand is a, a huge part of that plan. And that that's the same for us, but we're really confident with the, the brand and the place it's in, the product range in the shape it's in that, um, that yeah, we're, we're getting, we're on track to, to deliver that growth. That's just fabulous. And you did some crowdfunding, didn't you? Is it two rounds of crowdfunding? That's right. Um, so we've done, our last crowdfund was in uh, May 2019. Um, and it's a really important part of the brand that essentially our, our customers own, um, you know, own part of the business and they're huge brand advocates. And it really see, ties well with, you know, Tribe and our ethos. And we're really grateful for their support. And some of the money that you raised, of course, will be helping you to drive the growth that you have just described. Well, look, guys, I'm absolutely delighted to meet you and to learn more about what's behind Tribe. It's really inspiring. I think uh, there's a real challenge out there for brands, like I said, to think about how their purpose and the community that they're building is not just part of their marketing plan, but actually it's central to the ecosystem that they're building. And thank you so much for coming today and talking to us. And we will check in with you again in a year and see where you've got to, because we would love to learn more about this. What is it called? Foodies for? Foodies fighting slavery. Foodies fighting slavery. Just fabulous. Rob and Tom, thank you so much and have a lovely rest of day. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.